it makes me realize that, you know, maybe the accolades and things don't come in 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 certain arenas, but they do come in in others that are pro- that I would argue could be more important when you're talking about um, affecting someone's life. This is for the love of the game, hosted by old school college soccer coaches Ralph Perez and Ray Reed. Between these two, you're listening to 81 years of coaching college athletes, nearly 900 career wins, five national championships, and approximately 17,546 names in their contact lists. On this podcast, they grab some of those names and talk about what's going on in the soccer world today. Here they are, Ralph and Ray. All right, Ralph, you ready? We're going to talk with Colby Jones in a few minutes here. Ralph, let's start with this. Ralph, you've coached Kobe. What was he like to have on the team? How has his soccer become more diverse throughout your careers? Well, I think the first time I had the opportunity to really coach Kobe was, uh, I saw him play on the 92 Olympic team, obviously, with Lothar. I saw him play at UCLA and coached against him when he was a player at UCLA. But I think the biggest thing that people don't know about Kobe Jones is he was a true joy to coach because of his enthusiasm, his energy, his approach to coming every day to practice. Uh, when I came to the Los Angeles Galaxy in 98, it was one of those that now it's nice to have him on your team versus coaching against him, uh, as I did with the Metro Stars in 96-97. Kobe's best asset was his pace. He had good speed. He learned the game as he grew from, let's say, his appearance to UCLA to his professional debut in MLS in 96. So in that six years, the, the, the guy went leaps and bounds. He played a little bit in Spain, uh, not Spain, England and uh, Brazil before he joined the MLS. But I think the one thing that Kobe also had in him was he's very competitive. And, and that competitiveness drove him to want to play at a high level and stay at a high level. You know, also Kobe was very a proud black American kid. Dedication, like you would not believe his parents' love for the children, phenomenal. And it had a good impact on Kobe's uh, life. And, and that support system really helped him to move from youth soccer to high school soccer, to collegiate soccer, to Olympic soccer, MLS soccer, and then onto our national team. I've known Kobe for a long time, and I think the world of him. And I think more importantly, when people get to know him like I know him, they'll see that he is uh, a true gentleman and a great ambassador of our game. Well, I tell you, I think his playing career and his visibility helped improve the amount of diversity we have in our sport for players in the U.S. You know, we talk about diversity a little bit. Ralph and I are from the same town, from Brentwood, Long Island. And I was very fortunate to play for Ralph's older brother, Coach Perez. And he also was my uh, my guidance counselor in our town, you know, uh, back in the 60s, 70s, and still to this day, very, very diverse town. And influenced my coaching career. I went to Southern Connecticut. I played for a gentleman, Bob the Cranian, whose teams were extremely diverse. Uh, real melting pots from all around the world. And I was fortunate enough after I played for him to become his assistant head coach 
our teams have always been in Southern Connecticut and UConn diversity, had diversity. You know, we started back in New York that way. And again, a guy like Kobe Jones, I think he became the poster boy for many African-American young players, him and DeMarcus Beasley around the, around the country. And they wanted to emulate him, wanted to emulate DeMarcus, wanted to emulate Kobe. Uh, Coach, your thoughts? Uh, there's always people that you can reflect back in historical approach that carry the banner, that broke the, broke the uh, barrier. And, and I think that, uh, you know, this is an important part that I think Kobe Jones has meant to soccer. But more importantly, I think what he's meant to soccer is uh, a tremendous player who has served our game for a long time, had a long career, both club and national team. And a humble young man to boot for all his accolades. Correct. On the playing side in this country, I think we've seen a great, certainly during my time, and I would imagine from your time, we've seen a great increase in teams being diverse at all levels in this country. However, for me, I still think we lag a little bit coaching, having diversity high is at all levels, youth soccer, high school soccer, college soccer, you know, professional soccer. Have you seen a great change in the diversity? I mean, obviously, over your 40, 50 some odd years in the game? Well, I think the first thing is that, um, you know, where we grew up, the both of us, and, you know, born in the Bronx and moved out to Brentwood, Long Island, uh, diversity was always there for us to see and, and, and grow up in. And when we played at our high school team, we had black, Hispanic, and white players. It, that was ingrained in me that I thought that's the way it is. But clearly it was not when we played other teams from Long Island or when I played for other teams in college. And it was the same when I started coaching in college. You know, there was not many black or Hispanic uh, coaches at the collegiate game. And it's the same in, in Major League Soccer. It's, it's still slow moving. You hear it on our major sports in the NFL. They call it the Rooney Rule. Uh, you still hear about it in the NBA, Major League Baseball, and uh, clearly in, in Major League Soccer, and also in the NC2A level. So it's it's growing. It's 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 becoming something that I think there's more opportunities. But clearly, people like yourself and myself, I, I think we carry the banner for that and want to see that and see that change in the years coming forward. That more opportunities for minorities. Uh, to get a chance to, to do things in the sport of soccer uh, and, and, and an overall athletics uh, in our country, because uh, I think that's important. And I think that's uh, something that I think our country stands for and is based on, but yet I think the practice of it is a little slow over the years, but I think there's a more progress, I think, being made in the 21st century than we did in the 20th. You know, and again, we get back to Colby, Look at some of the, you know, Tabaret, Claudio, just to name a few, Demarcus, Eddie Pope. So many guys have been key players on our team, uh, you know, both in the MLS and with our U.S. national team. And, and I think those gentlemen have become role models for young young guys that are now, you know, the young guys, the Winston McKechnie and these guys of the world that are now 
20, 21, 22, that watch these guys play as little kids? Well, I, I agree with you. And, you know, I've been fortunate to coach for a long time. And one of the things that we as coaches are always most proud of is the success of our players that we we had the opportunity to coach. And you know, listening to you chat about the diversity. And so, for example, a, a guy that I coached and really grew to really love, Ezra Hendrickson, who's now the head coach of uh, Chicago, and his assistant, who's a good friend of mine, a, another fellow Puerto Rican, Gonzalez. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's 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 important that. Uh, Junior Gonzalez is, is, is uh, his his success with Ezra. The two of them working together. It was just like when Octavio Zambrano and I, an Ecuadorian Puerto Rican, coaching the Galaxy. We knew that if we didn't do well, then they might not look at that as a successful formula. Two Hispanic guys working together, so you feel that pressure. Just like Robin Frazier now in Colorado. Um, these are things that you 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 carry as a banner and you take it very seriously. That's the way my, my parents raised me uh, because you want to surely open the door for others that will follow. And uh, I've always felt that I, I, I wanted to have a good diverse team at any level that I coached. And I think a lot of people are feeling that way because there are teams that are successful like you had at UConn and, uh, you know, I, I remember Mr. Lincoln Phillips when he coached at Howard University when they went to the Final Four and were very, very competitive as an all-black institution. And my my good friend, Brahani Andabran, who coached uh, the Cal State LA team that I left all the way to the NCAA Final and coached very successfully at the women's team at Stanford. Look, I, I'll be – we have, I believe, this 10 African-American head coaches at the Division One level. Three of them came from Yukon uh, or Southern Connecticut, Chris Bondi, Bo Oshoni, and Brian Hancock. It's one of the proudest things I have in my career is that we've been able to take gentlemen from different backgrounds, put them together as a team, and then send them out in the real world and be successful. And I retired in December, and we hired Chris Bondi to succeed me, and be frank, we won the national championship in 2000. I was extremely proud. Chris won the tournament trophy, was our captain, our leader. And I was equally as proud in December of 2021 when we hired Chris. I think he's a great young coach, great young man. He's going to lead the Huskies to new heights. And uh, hopefully that will inspire more universities to hire diverse candidates. Well, I, I think, Ray, you're, you know, you're spot on on that. And I think, you know, Two kids that I recruited to my Cal State LA program, I couldn't be proud of them. That what they've done in the game, coached professionally, coached our national teams, uh, served the game well. And, and Martin Vasquez and uh, Carlos Juarez, you know, and, uh, there's many more, and I don't want to offend anyone, but clearly Martin being the assistant coach with Jurgen Klinsmann with the national team, uh, Carlos Juarez being the uh, first women's coach in the new pro league in San Diego, and he hired Martin as his assistant. I mean, these stories make you proud and make you happy, but I think more importantly, what we're all trying to do, whether uh, we're white, black, or, or brown, is that you, you're given opportunities, uh, whatever it is, through club soccer, youth soccer, professional, and then making the most of it uh, is uh, all you want. You want an opportunity and a chance to, 
prove yourself, whether it's coaching, playing, refereeing, what have you. Ralph, we've talked about diversity. We've talked about race. Let's talk about gender. Kimberly Wine has done a fantastic job at NYU. What other female coaches do you know of either on the male side coaching or could be on the male side coaching? Well, I, I think the first thing that doesn't get enough credit uh, all the time about soccer is that, hey, the U.S. women soccer team is the Brazil of the world. They've won four World Cups since 91. And uh, our present coach has inherited a good team because of the work that was done by Jill Ellis, who won back-to-back -back World Cups, which is fantastic. But, you know, this young lady, as you mentioned, Coach White at NYU, plays in the toughest, one of the toughest Division Three conferences in the UAA with, you know, the schools like Chicago, Emory, NYU, Carnegie Mellon, Washington, St. Louis, and so forth. And she's done very, very well, led their team last year uh, to lose to the eventual champions, uh, Connecticut College, and uh, has done a fantastic job. And then another friend of mine, that coached both men and women when she was in Cincinnati and uh, coached the school there and then came out here to California and coached. And then when uh, Landon Donovan went into coaching the USL team in San Diego, he hired her as one of the first women coaching a men's pro club uh, as an assistant, uh, Kerry Taylor. And she coached at Mount St. Joseph's in uh, Cincinnati, and uh, she did both the men and women at the same time. And I thought that was pretty remarkable. And what she's done in the game, I mean, you know, presently she's working with the Jamaican uh, women's national team as well. Another another outstanding coach, Coach Abby Wambach at, uh, at Florida, just retired. Is a good friend of yours and mine, Becky Burley. She did a fantastic She beat Anson, I believe, Wambach senior year. Uh, she built an unbelievable program down in Gainesville. She's a you know very heavily now into leadership. She's a woman I think that often gets overlooked for just how good she was as a coach and what she built down there. Well, there's no question that I think Becky is has since retired, but what she did at Florida was phenomenal work. Uh, I've known her. You know, one of the good things of being a national staff coach and giving out coaching licenses and instructing them. You see a lot of people come through those schools, and, and I saw her uh, when she was taking her license. You knew then that she was going to be an outstanding coach. One of the things that we, we've seen is that the women's game, uh, we have some outstanding women coaches. Uh, you can go on and on. We, we know who they are. Uh, the, and I think uh, that part of our game, I, don't, I see the same thing happening down the road in MLS, just like uh, uh, Papa did at San Antonio where he hired a woman to work with his basketball team. Uh, I see that coming in, in men's soccer. I, you know, I, I really do. I see it already with uh, fitness coaches. I see it obviously uh, uh, coming down the road that, you know, clubs are going to go that route because all, no matter how you're looking at it, you're looking for quality coaches. The gender doesn't really come into play. You want the best people that you can have when you're building an organization and building a coaching staff. You know, I, I feel very strongly that uh, that part is, is is forthcoming because, you know, the women have played the game just like the men for a long time. They've been successful. And there's a lot, a lot of quality women soccer coaches out there because we see them all the time presenting at our conventions 
and giving lectures and field sessions and doing fantastic work. I see that right away coming in the, in the immediate future. Karen Ferguson at Louisville is another outstanding coach and the Popovich's assistant, uh, Greg Popovich with the Spurs was Becky Hammond. She was rumored to be the one to replace him when he retired. He just took the WNBA job, I believe in Las Vegas. She's the head coach. She's been, she's been on Pop's staff at least for the last four or five years. A name that comes to mind is uh, Amanda Vandervoort, who's just been hired at USL to work the next USL Division League for Women's Soccer. And uh, uh, our game is served very well by both men and women. And, uh, and there's no country in the world that has more women coaches and players actively in our game than the United States. Kobe Jones is a former U.S. men's national team and L.A. Galaxy legend. And he's now an analyst for the Los Angeles Galaxy on Time Warner Cable Sportsnet. He's also been on Fox Sports, BN Sports, and the Pac-12 Network. He's the owner of the Angel City Football Club and on the board of directors for the United States Soccer Foundation. He's also a member of the Game Changers United, a U.S. Soccer Federation Council on Diversity, Equity, inclusion and belonging. Thanks for coming on, Kobe. You are still the most capped men's national team player. How do you reflect back on that career that you had? <laughs> um, that, you know, that's an interesting one. You know, you can look at it so many different ways. You know, it was, it was a long career. I was fortunate not to have any major injuries and stuff like that. But what I really look back on that you know, it's the friendships and the relationships, you know, that you look, you look back on more than anything else. And, and having been there so long, I got to meet so many, you know, wonderful uh, men, women, you know, from not only the U.S., but from various countries where you develop these, these strange relationships. You know, some of them are, are tight, you know, the standard, you know, relationships. But then you have others like from, you know, players that you played against and you see them on the field and you're, battling against each other but now when you see each other it's still like hey what's up you know it's been it's been so long and you have a friendship and a relationship you know with them so you know soccer and and my career you know that some of the most important things that it brought me were the friendships the people that I met the ability to travel you know and see things that most people wouldn't be able to see you know in this world and those are the things that you know are important to me so you know I look back at the career you know, quite fondly. And, and as you can tell, I haven't actually mentioned the soccer itself that much because I think there's so much more to the sport than just the game, you know, itself. And yes, I, I did. Yes. I don't want anyone to take it the wrong way. Yes. I did enjoy playing on the field and the battles and the ups and downs, you know, that's, that's part of it. That's the competition part. I always love that. You know, people still say I'm too competitive, but you know, I think that's one of the things that allowed me to have a, such a successful and long career. Well, with that, is there one highlight or memory that stands out for you? Uh, beating Mexico in the 2002 World Cup. <laughs> that, that's Great one that timing. Was, yes. Great timing. <laughs> <laughs> that one. That one stands out. You know more than uh, more than most. You know, there's also winning the first championship uh, for the Galaxy. You know, having been there, you know, three times before. You know, and losing, and then finally win it on the fourth. You know, it's finally getting that monkey off your back. So that was that was extremely important. Uh, so, so those are the two that really, you know, come to top of mind when I think about moments, you know, in my soccer career.
So basically what you're saying is 2002 was a hell of a year for you, Kobe. It was a good year. <laughs> it was a very good year. I, I do have to admit, you know, even being 32 at that time, you know, I was probably in the best shape of my life, you know, with the, the focused on, you, you know, making sure, you know, that I wanted to be part of the World Cup team, but also be, you know, successful in winning MLS Cup. You know, I took my health and fitness to like a whole nother level, you know, with, you know, the workouts and, you know, the, the gym workouts, the day after games, you know, the morning is of on the road of eating, you know, uh, eating right, you know, doing like, you know, those different plans, you know, you have every, you have every different, different type of diet nowadays, but it, um, making sure I had just the proper meal breakdowns, you know, it, and, and it paid off. Uh, no doubt. And I surely witnessed all of that, what you're saying. And it surely was uh, a good thing to see you get both things done in that calendar year. Good, Rick. Yeah, Kobe, first off, again, thank you for being on our show. And uh, Ralph always accuses me of East Coast bias. I'm <laughs> East Coast. So obviously I watched you play, but obviously I wasn't seeing the Galaxy play the weekend. And I look at, and I think for our listeners, because who knows the age, three World Cups, 12 years with the Galaxy, 70 goals, 91 assists with the Galaxy, three World Cups, as you said, 15 goals, 22 assists, 92 Olympics. National champion at UCLA, two MLS Cups, 1998 U.S. Soccer Athlete of the Year, 1998 MLS Best 11, and then the one that shocks me, you deserve it, but if I read it correctly, the number 13 is the only jersey retired in MLS Galaxy history. Is that correct? That's an unbelievable, I mean, an unbelievable resume for a humble guy, you know, uh, and I enjoyed watching you. I enjoyed watching the World Cups, but it's great to have you on, and thank you, first off, for what you've done for the game in this country to try to push the game forward. You've been a breath of fresh air as a player and as a uh, diplomat for the game. Thank you. Thank you, Ray. I, I appreciate that. Ralph, did he leave out the CONCACAF Cup? Did he leave that out? Was that in there? <laughs> see, see what happens, Cole. Like I told one of my players yesterday, he goes, Coach, because he's from Seattle, he goes, that was just a tournament. I said, "Hey, we didn't make the rules. We would we would have dealt that, and we won it. And don't worry, don't worry, and then FIFA didn't give us a chance to win the world title, Kobe. Wait a second. You know, what I, you know what I want to say to that? You know, to the people that always say that that it was just a tournament or whatever. Look, it, we we are a Concacaf Cup or a Champions League champion. You know, whatever you want to call it nowadays. Because I tell you one thing: they love saying that to us or, or to teams within MLS and Mexico." But do you think they don't go back to Real Madrid and say, hey, all those championships from way back when, because it wasn't Champions League, they don't count. You know, that, that, you know what would happen then? They don't do that over there, but they'll do it over here. You know, what? Let tell those people to go to Real Madrid and say, hey, those championships from here to here don't count because it wasn't the current Champions League, you know, formation. No, no, I'm not. I'm not buying it. from. You. Well, I like. Already, I like you said in the beginning, these people think you're too competitive. First of all, I don't think this team is too competitive, number one. right? Number two, I love your competitiveness. And number three, he's going to say to me, we, him and I talk four in the morning my time. He's going to say, well, you didn't know what the CONCACAF because you're on the East Coast and you don't know what good soccer is, man. <laughs> he, he doesn't even know how to spell CONCACAF. <laughs> but I will use that, Kobe, because my players did visit Santiago Bernabe and this player, Pia Minton. Menti, uh, I can use that tomorrow at training because I want to remind them, hey, this came from Kobe Jones to you. 
Hey, it, it, it's the truth. They would never dare. Can you imagine them walk? Tell them to walk over there and tell them, yeah, those don't count. See what happens. They'll get run out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kobe, let's go back to 96. MLS is getting started, and you decide to come back to the U.S. and help get the league started. Was that a tough decision? No, no, it, it wasn't a tough decision. That was kind of the, the plan beforehand for a lot of us at that time. You know, part of that uh, 94 World Cup was to to come back. The, if the big issue was is after the 94 World Cup, there there was this basically a full year, a year and year plus gap of where you're going to it's like, where are you going to play? You know, so you had to go off and, you know, and find different things and and go to different teams. And, you know, I had the time in England and then in Brazil and. And when 96 came around, I was ready to come back, you know, and be part of this league and help kick it off and help start, you know, everything up. I think the big thing with it that many people don't know, especially now and especially East Coasters, um, wouldn't know that uh, nobody wanted to play in L.A. It, it's a it's a funny thing. Is that they were giving the national team players from 94 a choice of where they want to go. And I know of two, two players. I won't say who they are, but I know of two players that had the choice you know, to take LA, but nobody wanted to play in LA because they didn't think soccer would be successful in Los Angeles. They thought that there's too much other stuff going on. So those players went other places. They had it before me. And when, uh, you know, cause I was like low man on the totem pole at the time, you know, one of the young cats on the, on the team, they said, Hey, would you be willing to go to LA? And I was like, ding, ding, ding. That's where I wanted to go. Let's do this. You know, this is <laughs> home. I know it. I love it. And uh, let's get it started. But yeah, no one thought that LA was going to pull, you know, as many fans as we did. I told Ralph, you played 94 Cup for Bora, right? Yes. So I've told Ralph this story before. So I'm coaching in Southern Connecticut, and you guys played the Yale Bowl. I think you played Juventus, I believe. You played some kind of game, and Bora does a, a coaching session. So afterwards, his coach is asking questions, there's media there, and he's like, he can't speak English. No English, no English. Me and my buddy, we go out that night. The Lakers are playing. It's the NBA playoffs. And Vladi Divac playing. And Boris sitting across at the bar. It's like a small boy. He's watching the game. And he sees us. He knows us. He waves us over to watch the game with him. Fluent English. Fluent English. Four <laughs> hours away. Couldn't talk to the media. Couldn't talk to the coaches. Fluent English. <laughs> that does not surprise me. What about Vladi Divac? And I'm looking at him like, you got this thing figured out pretty good. <laughs> uh, he, Bora, it was very, very tactical in everything he did. Like he, he watches everything. He's micromanager in a good way, you know. Yeah, I said to Ralph. I think it was Ralph yesterday. I believe Nigeria and China. I think those are the two jobs. He coached the full team. He never stepped foot in the country. He ran training camps outside the countries all the time. It's amazing. I, I, probably, I probably, I probably made eight figures. <laughs> yeah, he, he did find ways to get jobs and get paid. I'll tell you that. So <laughs> tell me, what was it like in the early days in the MLS? You know, it's very different than what you see today. I'll tell you that, you know, we don't have, we didn't have chartered flights then, you know, you get to the plane and get to the airport. It was like, yeah, okay, there's my seat, middle back bathroom right there, baby. That's it. <laughs> take, take that, you know, this is, this is where it's going to be. And, you know, we had uh, um, the experiences of, you know, having to walk, I guess the, I don't even know what it is, the field area where we were going to be training and pick up, you know, glass and, bottle caps and all that stuff beforehand. So we would get in a line and just do like a row down and pick up everything and clean it off, you know, beforehand to make sure that it was uh, okay to play on. So you didn't fall on glass, but the fields, you know, it's where it was the parking lot, you know, it's where the cars parked. So it was bumpy and everything. And, 
you know, but as far as that, that, that was just specific to, you know, to the galaxy at that time, but the league itself, it was exciting. You know, there was an excitement about it, about we're finally kicking off and we're starting up. So to have the moments of all these teams finally coming together and, and being able to perform after, you know, this is the first time that we're really seeing soccer in the country, big soccer outside of the world cup. So we were able to perform, you know, in front of big crowds and everything. I, you know, I was, I was pleasantly surprised, you know, with, with everything that there was still this following, you know, that people were, were craving, you know, soccer. And it was that kind of like the first thought for me in 96 that, yeah, this is, this is here to stay, you know, that people, you know, are enjoying this and, and look, it's not going to just blow up, you know, right away, but it's going to, it's going to take some time and we'll have that growth. Look, your group in 94, I said this to the, to wrap up the 90 group, the 90 group, the 94 group, the 98 group. Sometimes it's like soccer never started in this country to 2000 in people's minds. You guys, unbelievable pioneers for the sport, you know, the 94 cup alone, but what you've done for the country. You know, Kobe, it's always great to talk to you. And, and you, when you start talking, I'm writing notes down here of all these memories because I, I was fortunate to uh, come to Los Angeles. I wanted to come to Los Angeles in 96, but the Galaxy didn't want to pay me accordingly. So I, I went to New York <laughs> to the Metro Stars. But Lothar was the coach and he wanted me as his assistant. And you guys got off to that great start, thir- you know, like 13 and 0 or something mm-hmm. ridiculous. But you know, the one thing that stood out in my mind when you were talking about the start of the year was we happened New York, L.A., and I'm looking at the guy who killed the, the game for us when I was coaching New York. But it was, you know, almost 70,000. You could round it up to 70,000 fans, yeah. which was the home side of the Olympic final in 84, the home side of the World Cup final in 94. And here we got 70,000 at the opening game of Major League Soccer and a great game, 2-1 win for the Galaxy. Uh, But, you know, when I look back at, you know, everything that you've been involved in and, you know, for me, I've always saw saw things in a a prism of color, being a a Puerto Rican and everyone looking at it in a situation there. But, you know, you, you weren't the first black player in the United States, but you have been one to inspire many black athletes to play. And what did it mean to you in the 90s to, to, to jump into from college at UCLA to the Olympic team in 92, which I happened to join you guys in Barcelona, and then, you know, to go to the World Cup team in 94 and then 96 start the league? It, it meant a lot. It meant a lot. And I could say that I definitely appreciate it more now you know, than I did then, you know, when you're in the midst of it and you're a young player, you're, you're trying to do, you're trying to survive, especially, and, and people might not understand that because things are different now, but especially in this sport that was, like you said, after the Olympics, you know, after Olympics, I was planning just to go back to college and, you know, go back to school and soccer was done. You know, there was no future for soccer, you know, <laughs> at, at that point. So, um, and my plans were, like I said, just to, you know, I was done after the Olympics. That's it. You know, like, woohoo, you know, I had a shot. So um, when I look back now at that and when I do hear people come up and, 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 and players talk about that I was an inspiration, you know, it's fantastic to hear because you don't always hear that. 
You know, you don't you don't hear it a whole lot that you've inspired someone to be better, you know, and inspired someone to do something. And that's why I think it's important when we talk about, you know, seeing people in positions that young kids and everything want to be is important because it inspires them to work a little harder, to dream a little bit more and to say, yeah, I can do that. That's what we want to see. You know, so for myself, when I hear these stories, it makes me realize that, you know, maybe the accolades and things don't come in 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 certain arenas, but they do come in in others that are pro- that I would argue could be more important when you're talking about um, affecting someone's life. You know, and and for me, having gone through the Olympics, the World Cup team, you know, MLS, you know, through the years, and and being fortunate enough to still be involved you know, in the game at this time, it, it's, it's wonderful to think about. And I'm hoping that I'm continuing to inspire, you know, uh, not only, you know, young black men, but young black women, just, you know, people of color from every avenue, you know, that it, it can be done, you know, because um, as you know, walking on at UCLA, you know, not easy. Being cut from the Olympic team twice before making it, not easy potentially being cut from the world Cup team from Bora, you know, uh, you know, where I was on the, on the verge, not easy. You know, it, 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 it's never easy for, for anyone, but you gotta, you know, you got, if I can push through it and stick with it, you know, you know, there's others out there that you can find a way to, you know, to get around those obstacles and barriers. Kobe, you're recently appointed by uh, U.S. soccer to a diversity, equity, and inclusion group called Game Changers United. Can you tell us a little bit about the group? Yeah, it's a, it's a group of people that are involved in the game at every level. You know, former players, business people, uh, people within U.S. Soccer's board. You know, a lot of people that have um, insight into uh, the game. You know, and trying to find ways to be more inclusive, and and that and that's including everybody. You know, in, in every aspect of the game, from the top to the bottom you know, all, all the way around and working on that and trying to put uh, active measures in place to actually see that. As I've said, I, I, I'm a big believer, you know, um, that if you see someone that looks like you, you know, that can inspire you to, to do that. So I, I think it's important that we have, you know, the people of color in certain areas and arenas. Now, the different people and groups, they're going to have their own, you know, own ideas of which way they are coming at DEI. You know, but in general, it is about just being more inclusive within U.S. soccer, you know, at every level, not only on the field, off the field, uh, in our dealings with uh, groups and organizations, you know, in, in every which way. Just trying to be be more letting people be more aware, you know, of DEI in every aspect of the soccer community. Kobe, if, if you guys are successful with this, what does inclusion look like to you in soccer in 20 years? I, I I think it will be an environment where we see a very diverse U.S. soccer, you know, and and I think that's important if we're talking about starting at the top. I You know, I think when we look at the board of U.S. soccer, I think we see more people uh, with varied backgrounds. I think when we look at um, the different clubs and organizations, we see people of, of a more varied background that includes coaches, you know, that includes players, that includes referees, you know, all these, all these different avenues. I think it's uh, reaching into these underserved communities and having soccer 
being broadened out, you know, into the inner cities, into the rural communities, you know, that basically aren't served with soccer right now. These are some of the things that I would, that I would like to see. And I'd like to see active change rather than saying all the time, like, okay, we're just putting wordage in certain things, which is important, but I'd like to see active change, you know, in those aspects. And, and I don't think that is aggressive, you know, in, in any way or confrontational. I think it's just about giving opportunity, you know, to various groups to be able to play the sport, you know, and trying to step out of our comfort zone of where we're at and thinking that people will come to us. You know, I think we have to be active and say, we need to go to them. I can't believe it, you know, that, uh, how much time has expired here. And since I had the opportunity to, to coach with you on my team and seeing you play for our national team. And I, I agree with you about that comment about 2002 world cup win against Mexico. And the fact that right now we've beaten Mexico three times in a row is fantastic. And as most people don't realize, we live in a city that is heavily populated with the Mexican uh, population who we love in LA. They're great fans for the galaxy. So you, you've covered now the Galaxy, and, and really, when you think about it, you've been involved since day one as a player and, and a coach a little bit there. Uh, you got to coach, and then also, you know, with uh, the broadcasting side. So you've seen all the, the groups that have supported the Galaxy. So how, how did you get involved with this Angel City FC? Uh, the, the supporter groups, um, you mean Angel City Brigade? Yes. ACB. Okay. They are massive, you know, massive and a very important part of the culture at the galaxy because uh, like you said, yeah, you can hear them. Um, and, and, and they're, they're one of a few of those supporters groups, right. And, and more are trying to form, you know, all the time, but I, I love what they do. Like you said, that they are constantly going, you know, they are constantly um, giving a an atmosphere to the stadium, and it's not just during the game; it's before the game. They get there early. They're they're in the parking lot. You can hear the drums. You can hear the beat. You can feel the energy. And groups like that, those supporter groups, when they come out and they show that energy, it, as you as you know, Rob, like you said, you can hear you can feel it on the TV. But when we were out on the field, you know, you can feel that energy coming off. That's when we talk about the twelfth the twelfth player. You know. Um, so it's important to make sure that these groups are always supported by the club and the organization that they are feel like they're, they're a part and have a say because yes, MLS is built a little different than other organizations, right. Or, Or other leagues, but it's still a league that is surviving from your supporters. And so if you have these supporters out there and they are energized and they're into it, they're going to keep coming back. They give a great atmosphere that brings more people into it. It brings the all of a sudden. And this is what I love seeing now in this day and age and this new iteration of MLS is that these supporter groups are giving the vibe and energy to the whole stands where you're starting to see the casual fan come to the game. And it's not only the soccer that brings them into it, but it's the supporters groups as well that brings them in and allows them to feel that energy and want to be part of this, this, this sport that we love. So yeah, ACB, they're, they're doing a fantastic job. You know, they, they've done, you know, with Victoria block and, 
you know, the Riot Squad and, and the Galaxians, you know, they're all there um, working together to make sure that we have a great atmosphere. And, and, and it's, it's only growing. It's getting better and better. The first two games of this season have been fantastic as far as support and uh, just attendance. You know, it's been pleasurable to see. Well, last thing connected with all that, because you, you, I, I can say that I kind of haven't had the opportunity that you've had to travel the whole league and see all these new soccer specific stadiums in Austin and, and uh, Minnesota and on and on. I mean, the galaxy was one of the first ones that we had built in 2003 with Mr. Anchus building the, the stadium there in Carson, but now you've traveled and, you know, you've seen them all. Uh, and that, that growth and all that, I guess the question really is simply this Kobe. I mean, it, it, it it's just, mind-boggling for me and i'm just wondering from your perspective as as a player and now a, a former player did you ever think that this was gonna really come to this level no i've been asked that question a thousand <laughs> times and i'd like to hear what you think no 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 not not so soon let's put it that way i think we've had exponential growth you know just over the last five years five to ten years where it's completely exploded. And, and that's what's amazing, where I'm just like, how, how are they getting these stadiums up in like, you know, a year and a half, two years, something like that. They announce it, next thing you know, stadium's built. You know, I mean, I remember thinking the, of, of these times where the Galaxy is looking to get a stadium. It's like, well, we got to plan it out. It'll take like five years, you know, to get something done. But now they're coming so quick that, it, that it, it, it's, it's amazing to see. I had always hoped that this would be the case, but to actually see it, you, you know, um, in my in my lifetime, you know, it, it, it's amazing. It, it's amazing. And the stadiums are just getting fancier and fancier and becoming entertainment venues. And and the stadiums seem to be evolving as fast as technology allows it, you know. So and we all know how fast that is, you know two years and you need, you need a new iPhone, you know, or something like that. So now you're just seeing stadiums just keep upgrading and upgrading and upgrading. And I think the technology that goes into them is just going to make the experience even more important. So, so you see, you know, as I kind of mentioned before, people are coming to these games, not only just for the soccer, but it's the whole experience. And, and that's, that's not a negative because that's other sports too, you know, and it, it means that we are finally getting to the point of the other leagues where, you go to a game and you can spend hours before, hours after, you know, and, and enjoy yourself. So if you are spending as much as we spend at all these sporting events, that you are getting the full experience. Great. Appreciate it. So tell me what it was like to play for Coach Perez. Ah, uh, absolutely terrible. Always jokes. <laughs> You got a thick skin, right? You, yeah, thick you have skin. to have thick, thick skin. He'll always tell you about the Puerto Rican way. He love he loves the one after you have probably some of your hardest training sessions ever. And this goes out to all the all of his uh, current players. If you ever have a hard training session where you're doing double days and you're doing fitness and you're exhausted, and he tells you, "Okay, we're just going to sit and relax afterwards." Make sure you keep one eye open because if you <laughs> stay there too long, you'll end up falling asleep, and they'll leave you out there. <laughs> Well, I, I think, um, you know, on the other side, I, I I had that opportunity in Boston to really say what all about Kobe 
and 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 he comes from a wonderful family, a mom and a dad who supported him immensely. They even when Kobe was away with the national team, they still came to the Galaxy games, every one of them. And one of the things that I remember most was that um, you know his dad really appreciated what I said in Boston. So he was having a party back in in L.A. where Kobe's family lived, and he had a lot of relatives who couldn't get to Boston coming. You know, so he says, Coach. You got to do the same speech. You got to, you know, give it the same way you delivered it in, in Boston. I said, I said, Mr. Jones, I don't even remember that speech. I just spoke from the heart. I didn't write anything down. He goes, No, no, you got to do it the same. So it was a great day at his family and meeting all his family. And uh, I know Coach Sampson showed up as well, who coached him in the in the '98 World Cup and with the Galaxy as well. But the thing that I just want to say to our our, our audience is that. Um, you know, there's people that, you know, play the game and then after they're done, they just move on. Uh, I think we're all blessed and fortunate that, you know, as you've heard today, all the things that Kobe has done and, and what he's meant to the game and uh, from every level, you know, from from the youth level, high school level to club soccer to collegiately and then obviously, you know, to the Los Angeles area. Uh, he is, in my opinion, an icon of in our athletics in Los Angeles and uh, a fantastic ambassador for our sport. Kobe, how can our audience connect with what you're doing and the stuff you do on the side? Is there any way uh, we can help you get the word out with our audience? Yeah, there's always, you know, there's the, the social media, you know, just the, the at Kobe Jones, 13 Instagram and, and uh, Twitter, you know, those are, those are the main ones that, that, that I'm on, but you know, with the stuff that I'm doing, you know, it's, it's always, you know, stuff through the galaxy, through us soccer, you know, through angel city football club as well. Those are the, those are the main organizations, you know, that I'm working with. And then there's a variety of, uh, as you, as you mentioned of charitable organizations, you know, that I'm working with game changers United with us soccer, the us soccer foundation, you know, I'm on the board. So trying to stay active and involved in the game as much as possible and continue to push the game you know, forward. Kobe, thank you. Pleasure to spend time with you and thank you for what you've done for the sport. What you've done for the sport. You, you made my job better at UConn. You've made MLS jobs better by guys like you who played hard, played the game the right way and took us to un, uncharted heights. So uh, thank you for what you've done. Thank you, Ray. I appreciate that. My pleasure. And the fact that Perez, that you played for Perez and did all this is even a bigger. <laughs> Well, Amazing, they always say, right? in spite of the coaching, people achieve greatness. <laughs> <laughs>